this you know woman's book when was the book 2019 2018 2018 2018 which was ah, that 2020 really flew by <laughs> um i i don't even know what to say she is one of the most talented writers ever she is brilliante she is fucking hysterical on tweetar she's like an icon and you know her book just the funny parts it is it's just fucking great read it is such a great read you're not going to believe half the if if she accomplished half of what she's accomplished you would say oh my god oh my god ladies and gentlemen the one and only now scobell is here Woo! hey okay come on that was a good intro yeah that was very nice even though your name is helen I know, but I I self-identified as Nell at a very early age. Yeah. So wait, what? How did that? Like, I love. All right. First of all, I have to say, if if I had a a daughter instead of a son, his name was going to be Helen. I love the name Helen. So you know, my parents were first generation, and they did that thing with their kids where they wanted to assimilate my brother. Right. His name is Edward Philip. Like he was going to grow up to be king of England. Right, right. (laughs) So we all got these very Anglo-Saxon names. And so I was Helen, but that seemed like a loser name to me. Well, it's an old, I had an Aunt Helen. That's why, you know. Exactly. But I don't know. I love it. But I have a cousin, Helene. Yeah, there were a lot of Elaines in my class. Yeah. But so I had my grandmother, I was very small and she called me Little Nell, which from Charles Dickens. And I was like, Nell, that's a good name. Um, So I informed my first grade teacher to call me Nell. And throughout, until very recently, I was Nell at school and Helen at home. That was me. I was Judith. And everyone who knows me before the age of 12 still calls me Judy. And then Judy at school. And then my mother, I've told this story, I think, before. Um, My mother would, like, people would call and say, is Judy there? And then she would say, yes, please hold on. And then in the fucking headset scream, Judith! And um, I had a lot of friends. Um, Anyway, now you have such a fascinating life and full life. And I just, I fucking adore you, even though we've never met in person. Have we ever met in person? Maybe a couple. No, but it's that thing in women of, uh, in comedy in our generations, we were kept separate. (laughs) I, I say that all the time to when I, when I get interviewed for my book, yes, I can say that when the company means we're in trouble, but I say that we never got to work together. We, in all the guys, all the guy comics. Yeah. You know, when I think of like Ray Ramon, I, he he was in my class. You know, there's classes of, you know, people who started when you started. You know, he got the show and he employed all his guy friends, you know, yeah. and that's what they did. And we, I go on the road and 
uh, I get into a condo. Like I fucking live in a condo. It was if there was a woman on the show, it was only one. And yeah, it was it's ugh. anyway. Let us start with the beginning of Nell Scobell's life. Uh, you're the middle child of five. So you're really the middle. Yes. Do you yeah. think you have middle child syndrome? Absolutely. I'm funny. Pay attention to me. Pay right. attention to me. What is the young, I'm the youngest. What is the youngest member of your family? Is that your sister, Claire? Yes. Well, okay. you know, Claire uh, was running to keep up. And so she's like the most brilliant and the most accomplished, um, but also insecure because. Right. Because no one gives a shit about the youngest child. <laughs> You're always comparing yourself to people who are a lot older. Right. Okay. So first of all, before we continue, I just want to say happy birthday. Thank you. (laughs) I'm a Scorpio too. So my birthday literally fell on election day. Day of John F. Kennedy. Woo! You think I don't do my research? Okay. No, but it also, it was 2016. I could have had Hillary Clinton for my Oh, that's right. Yours was, uh, did you cry? I cried. I cried. Oh, I couldn't speak. But now I'll have a very nice 2020 birthday. Wait, all right. Before we continue with your life. You know, I was getting annoyed that it was so slow. You know, these election results. I was like, oh, this is taking too long. But watching, it's sort of I'm reveling in the, you know, watching him just fucking, uh, you know. It's, you know, he always talks about the Trump train. And I'm like, well, now we're watching it crash in motion. And what's nice is we're on the outside, but he's a conductor. Right. And do you think he's going to go to jail? You know, I have a 90, almost 93-year-old father. And a few weeks before the election, he said to me, you know, I just want to live long enough to see Trump. And I thought he was going to say lose. And I actually like I was like, that's not enough time. Right, right. And then he finished the sentence with go to jail. Oh, I love him. Yes. <laughs> we got I love him for years. You know what the problem now is that there's so many Jews who are like, he's good for Israel. He's good, you know. I don't live in Israel. I don't, I don't know if anyone knew that. I don't live in Israel. And yes, I support Israel, but I don't live there and I'm not living with this motherfucker. Okay. That, I love your dad. He's the best. He's hilarious. Okay. So you're the youngest of five. You grew up in Newton. Well, you lived somewhere else before and then you guys moved yeah. to Newton, which is known as Juton. <laughs> um, and so many it's very Jewy and a lot of like, isn't John Krasinski from there? And like, there's a lot of talented people from Juton, Connecticut. Yeah. Um, Eli, what's his name? The horror movie director. Right. Is from here. Um, but I wasn't raised religious. I wasn't bat mitzvah. I went to a lot of bat mitzvah. Right. Not that many. Cause I wasn't that popular. I got to right. be honest. Here. Well, if you were popular, you wouldn't be Nell Scobell. That's true. Right. Um, so I'm I'm proud to say I'm third generation atheist. Because wow. my grandparents were my grandmother was um one of those people who after the Holocaust 
was just like, you know, I'm done. Right. So I remember once Frances Cohen, so you can ring the bell a bunch of times. <laughs> she said to me, um, you know, I don't believe in God, but I don't like to say it too loud. Uh, I wasn't sure if that's because she thought like neighbors might hear or like God might hear. God might hear, right. You know, someone told me, I don't know who told me the story that they said to their rabbi that they didn't believe in God. And he said, don't worry, neither do I. I mean, you're still Jewish. I mean, you're still, it's in your DNA. You're a Jew. Like we're a Jew. We're both going to the same, we're both going to Auschwitz. Okay. So. But do you, you know that old joke about the man whose son comes home and tells his father that he's, he's just, he's born again. Right. And so the, the Jewish man runs to temple and he falls to his knees and he says, dear Lord, help me. You know, my son just came home and told me he's um, he's a Christian. What should I do? And the voice from above booms down. How should I know? The same thing happened to me. <laughs> I love that. I love that. All right. So whether or not you believe in God, you're a Jew. Anyway, um, so you grew up in, in a house of very intelligent people and funny people. Much funnier than than the Glass family in in uh, J.D. Salinger. Yes, yes, <laughs> but but a similar vibe, right? Okay, wait. Is this? I read that your grandmother was a podiatrist. Was she? But but not a. She wasn't a a medical doctor. No, I mean that she couldn't. There are very few. Right. Women. So the she wanted to, she loved science. Um, and the closest was, you know, she learned how to shave boards. I mean, it's just such yeah. a waste. Such a waste. For, I'm, it's just, ugh. Um, okay. Pet peeve, when people talk about, you know, we need equality for our daughters. Right. It gets me so angry because it's just kicking the can down the road. And I always say, I want equality for my grandmother. Right. Yeah. That I love that. I love that. You know, my grandmother, I'm you're I think you know, you're 2 years older than me and I've accomplished way more than I have. Anyway, but um you know, my grandmother was born in 1896 and she was 24. I'm sure you had grandparents that were born at around that time. 24 when women got the right to vote. I mean, like my grandmother who lived till I was 25 was 24 years old when women got, like people don't realize that yeah. it's not that long ago. Yeah. It's fucking annoying. Okay. So you grow up in Newton, you're, you're five kids. You, in the summertime, you um, go to New London, right? In you New were, Hampshire. It, right. And you went By the to- way, New Hampshire, very funny state. You, you've got Sarah Silverman, Seth right. Meyers, Adam Sandler. Right. Like that's oh, sorry. New Hampshire represent. Yeah, baby. Um, and you were you would get in these school these plays in the summertime, right? Yeah. But you didn't really want to be a performer. I did. I just didn't have any talent. Right. Oh, I thought you all right. So you Oh, I would have, to are you kidding? Yeah, of course. But but also, you, don't you think, Judy, it's a personality thing? Like Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I was encouraged to perform you know, even in my 20s, and I did not enjoy it. And I would come down from a performance and someone would say, uh, 
like another stand-up would be like, you know, you can't wait to do it again, right? <laughs> it would be like, no. No, I hate it. I mean, Please when I was reading your me. book and you talk about, because you created Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and, and you talk about how you're so excited and then you realize, uh-oh, I have to make a speech at the first table read. <laughs> it's like, you know, and it's so funny because people are so, it is the biggest fear is public speaking. And for me, I can't wait to get the fuck out and get a microphone and just start screaming at everyone. It's so, <laughs> it's such a, yeah, it's a whole different mindset. Hey everyone, you know, one of my favorite things in life, if not my most favorite thing in life, which, yeah, it's arguably my most favorite thing in life besides my kids and is food and eating. Eating is my favorite activity. And eating is better and easier with Factor. Factor, I'm telling you, I tried their stuff. It is delicious. It is great. It is high quality. And they are, when I say ready to eat meals, they're ready to eat in two minutes. They're not frozen. They're never frozen. They're chef crafted, dietitian approved, and literally you heat them for two minutes. Every week you have over 35 options to choose from. They have calorie smart, protein plus, keto. I just did chef's choice. 60 or more add-ons that you can stay fueled up. They had these juice shots that were incredible. These are restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat when you are ready to eat. That's it. And they're really good. Elisa loved them too. There's no prep. There's no mess. I've tried a lot of these different kinds of meals. Factor is amazing and so convenient. It's so great to get home from a long day of like schlepping around and knowing you have this delicious meal waiting for you in the refrigerator that takes two minutes to heat up. And you can pause, you can reschedule your deliveries at any time. It is a great solution for those nights and days that you're looking for fast, great, delicious options with no cooking required, okay? And Factor is less expensive than takeout. So what are you going to do? Because I'm telling you, you have to believe me, I never lie, Factor is amazing. You're going to head to Factor Meals, F-A-C-T-O-R-M-E-A-L-S, dot com slash Judy Gold 50, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D 50, five zero, okay? Judy Gold 50. And use code J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D 50, Judy Gold 50, to get 50% off. That's code Judy Gold 50 at factormeals.com slash Judy Gold 50 and get 50% off. It's worth it. You're welcome. Do you feel like having a big family and having all those siblings? Because I was really unpopular and nerdy like you. And but and I was bullied because I was so fucking gigantic. And my brother and sister were four and five years older than me. And they were kind of out of the house and in college. And, you know, I feel like the fact that you had this family around you kept your head, nor you know, like you didn't feel like a loser. You know what I mean? I feel like you're so lucky. And five kids for a Jewish family, not normal. Yeah, although we lived really near the Campbells and they had like nine. So. Okay, but they're the Campbells. They're, you know, they don't use birth control. 
But in eight years, right? Your mother had five kids in eight years. What the fuck is wrong with her? Um, So the two things I'll say are about that is I, when I got into a writer's room, I never had a problem jumping in and offering a joke or a comment because that was a dinner time growing up, you know, right. um, So that was so good. And then the other thing is I, I had this amazing mom and I talk in my book about how her love really did feel like my Harry Potter scar. Right. Right. And I mean, I literally worked on a show with a guy who has since been uh, drummed out of Hollywood because 37 people came forward to say he either bullied her or sexually harassed them. And he was so mean. And he would talk about how he, he hated his mother and his mother hated him. And there were times he'd be ranting and throwing things in the writer's room. And I would just be sitting there thinking, my mother loved me. Right, right, right. <laughs> On a loop. <laughs> right. I mean, it really, de- my mother was definitely depressed and had a lot of issues, but I never felt unloved. You know yeah. what I mean? And that. That says something. My kids, on the other hand, feel very unloved. So, um, although so, there, is, there are a lot of women who go into comedy, I think because they have narcissistic. Oh, one hundred percent. You write about that too. Um, but yes, totally, a hundred percent. So, you loved sports, and you end up being the manager of the boys' track team. Like, what? The, how the fuck did that happen? I'm, yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Well, I loved watching sports. I grew up in the Boston area. Um, the Celtics, the Red Sox, and the Bruins were all making it to the world championship, if not right. them. And although, so like Bobby Bobby Orr endorsing Trump last oh, week. Oh, fuck. Fuck him. Fuck, fuck him. him. Um, and by the way, I don't think he swayed that many votes in Georgia. So... I can't believe, and Jack Nicholas, like who, what the fuck? But also, why destroy your legacy? Right, right. I just saw, I got an email from WGBH and they're having an auction and there was like a Bobby Orr signed, you know, right. the, the the flying, the leap photo. And I was like, you know, I- that, That's gonna go for a dollar. Spin. Yeah. Yeah, fuck him. Yeah. Um. So you're, you're, you're into sports. You're doing the. You, you, I, I don't play. I'm not right. I'm small. I'm weak, <laughs> but I'm good at math. And right. it turns out with track, there's a lot of numbers, you you know, and splits and things like right. that. Track of. So it was a good fit. You then end up going to. Um, I don't. I don't know if anyone's heard of this college. Um, Get ready I, to ding your bell. You ended up going to a college named, I think I've heard what Harvard. That's right, Harvard. But now, what, did did anyone else in your family go to Harvard? Um, I well, four out of five of us went. Okay, there. yeah. What the fuck went on in that house? Now, where did the fifth go? Wellesley. Okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah. So we stayed close to home. Everybody wanted to be Okay, but can I say something? Did Wellesley feel like, oh, fuck, I'm not going to Harvard? Well, you'd have to ask Julie, but she's she's probably she's a very happy person. So I don't don't think she's. I mean, what can you imagine like 
you're a Jew, you're Jewish, you're a Jew, you're married, and uh, you have five kids, and four of them, like, no one can, no, too bad you weren't religious, because they could have fucking, they would have been in synagogue, like, well, oh, Nell's going to Harvard, Cl- Harvard, Ted Harvard, they're all going, yeah. Alice, I mean, Alice Harvard. Claire. I mean, it's, that is fucking crazy. There's got to be one, like, kid in the basement, like, going, no. I mean, like, your parents did an amazing fucking job. Um, They were were really good parents, yeah. And we, like I said, we would go to New Hampshire in the summer. We had television, um, except occasionally when there were summer Olympics, my, they would plug in a little black and white TV. You know what's so funny is that, my friend Joe Purdy, I don't know if you know him, he's a writer. He grew up in my town and he became a TV, television writer and they had no TV. Yeah, no, I was and even like I I know it sounds like I was born in the in the the 40s like I right. would listen to Red Sox games on the right. radio. <laughs> but isn't that great? I love, you know, like you have an imagine Can you imagine kids doing that like sitting in a chair and just listening? It's like forget it. Okay. So you I go to I would be a journalist and and the moment I remember being up in New Hampshire one summer when Richard Nixon announced that they were pulling troops out of Vietnam and I ran upstairs and pulled out my a notebook and I wrote it down cuz I was like somebody should get this on record <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. So you go, you go to, to Harvard. All right. There's a story you tell in the book um, and you end up writing for the Harvard Crimson, but you're writing sports, right? Yes. Um, but you were going to go, you were going to, you first went to the, um, whatchamacallit, where is it? The the comedy, what's it called? The, oh, the uh, Lampoon. The yeah. Lampoon. And you went in and you were like, uh-uh. you're like, I'll write sports because you, you were really into it. But you you talk about a guy with a cigar and a hat who was. Oh, you know him. Is it who I think it is? I think so. I knew it. And the fact that he had a cigar. He's so mean to me, Judy. Bill was mean to you? So mean. Oh, my God. So nice to me. (laughs) Well, you don't, you know, I don't know. Maybe you're you're not. you're not yeah. competing with him in the way he felt. That. Right, right, right. Wow. That's oh, interesting. He's sipping from my mug. My oh, Klobuchar and Harris. and Harris. I love that. Klobuchar, Gillibrand, Warren. Oh, mm. Mm, I like that. Um, okay. So you end up writing for the you know, sports for the Crimson. And then and, and the other person in the sports department is Jeff Tubin. Oh, that's right. I have that down. Um did he ever jerk off in front of you? Good night, folks. He did can you, not. Can you fucking believe that? Like, are you surprised that Jeffrey Tubin? Um... Oh, I. D- does anything a privileged male no. do surprise me? No, no, no. Um, okay, so you end up you writing for the Harvard Crimson, and then you end up writing for the Boston Globe. That was so amazing. So the Globe um, hires college kids to cover high school sports and they're always from northeastern and they're part of the northeastern like communications or journalism yes yes yeah you wrote about that yeah 
And so this is the early 80s. You've got Vince Doria. You got Leslie Visser is the one female writing for the paper. And they're part of affirmative action is they'll invite three men and one female, one, one female reporter. So I think they had someone lined up from Northeastern who fell out. And I was writing sports in the Crimson every day. And so they got my name from that. But it's so wasted on youth because when you're young and that opportunity falls, you're just like, well, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Right, 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 right. (laughs) Of course, I would just get a phone call out of the book asking me to write for the Boston Globe. You know, and, and here's where I talk about affirmative action because I strongly believe in it, but I don't call it affirmative action. I call it um, anti-negative bias. Right. Of all the, you know, I got, I was invited because I was a female, but if you looked at what happened to the, the four people in my class, you know, I, I went on to a very strong writing career. Right. So I don't think you can say I was allowed in because they lowered their standards. Right. Yeah. So you're going, you spend, you end up going to all these high school games. Like you're like the reporter on beat for all these high school games. I went to Bourne, Massachusetts. Oh my God. That's right by where I, you know, that's right by Provincetown. That's hilarious. Yeah. On Thanksgiving. So, I think that's why I remember. I Bourne. fucking, I was in the marching band and every Thanksgiving was a fucking football game. It was so yeah. fucking annoying. I had to get up. And the hot, do you remember the hot chocolate at the fucking high school games? Horrible, horrible with the fucking mini marshmallows in them. Fuck that. Okay. Wait, before we continue, there's one story that I, I want to commend that I love more than anything in the book. And that's the story of your third grade teacher meeting with your mother and complaining that you said too many jokes in class. Yeah. And the teacher says to your mother, you, can you please tell Nell to, or Helen, whatever the hell you were. Your daughter. <laughs> your daughter to stop that she's making too many jokes in class. And your right. mother said, yes. And then... When you were 40, yeah, she told you. Literally what? on my 40th birthday. I mean, that's fucking beautiful. It is beautiful. Isn't it? You're going to make me cry. I love my mom so much. Oh. But, but it was, and that's just she, like, we did not get the memo that, you know, women weren't supposed to be opinionated or funny. Right. Right. And I, we were, yeah, I had four sisters and we were all raised that way. Right. And I love that. I, oh, I wish I could meet your mother. So all of this, like editor of your school newspaper, working at the Crimson, then working at the Globe, do you think you're going to end up being a a journalist, a sports writer? Right. Because you grew up in New England and you have two choices. You know, you're a Jew, ring your bell. You could be a doctor or a lawyer. Right. And and so I I literally started college thinking I'd be a doctor. That right. And then you said you fucking hated the class. Yeah, the science. So then I was like, well, maybe I'll be a lawyer. That didn't feel right. And then I was like, journalism. And that was like right on the cusp of. But some. But so you're writing, and someone says to you, 
you know what? I think you should write for television. A woman says, I think you should write for television. Oh, it's even better. She said, I don't mean this as an insult, but I think you could write for television. And before that, had you ever thought about being a TV writer? Not one second. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, and it's this- amazing. And that woman changed your, the whole trajectory of your, of your life. She, yeah, absolutely. And it is one of those things where we, we just that random person um, who says something that just lights that spark. Right. Yeah. You know, and when I, uh, everyone knows this who listens to my podcast, but I, I did stand up on a dare for Secret Santas when I was 19 in college. And that was it. That's great. But I felt so lucky that I was like, this is what I'm meant to do because I always wanted to be a performer, but I was always too tall. Everyone was, you know, it's like these little fucking things you don't realize will change the entire trajectory of who you are and what you end up doing with your life. Okay. So you have to listen to them. Like yes. a lot of people get those messages and then ignore them. Right. And then go, oh fuck, I should have. Yeah. So you graduate college and what the fuck you get married? Like what is wrong with you? <laughs> Uh, But you said that you say in the book, like I, that was my goal. I was going to get married. I wanted to get married. That was my thing. I wanted to get married. Like, it it seems like in your family, it wasn't like everyone was like, you have to get married to 20, you know, but did you have a big wedding? No. So, okay, good. So maybe I sort of knew in my heart, uh, you know, I, I, I say that like, I really was a romantic right? because my parents had this really lovely marriage. I kind of just thought, well, that's what you do. My mom was 20 when she got married. Um, oh my God. Such the opposite of me. Really? My mother. Yeah. My mother was 33 and my father was 30, wait, my, 1954. So my mother was 32 and my father's born in 1916. So he was 38. But that's really old in that era. Oh, I know. My father was 48 and my mother was 41 when I was born. So that's why my grandmother was so, I, I only had one, one grandparent, but they were all in the 1880s and 1890s. So I got this sort of, I, I mean, I, I have to say, I have her little women book. I have like, I had all these opera, these librettos and I, I don't know. And in my twenties, I was like, Oh, I don't need these. I'm so fucking mad. I, I got rid of those, but I feel like because I grew up with these people, I have a whole different, I'm very old fashioned in a way, you know, kind of like you listening to the radio like that. I love that stuff. And I think that that builds your imagination, but it's it's amazing that you got married so young and your family was fine with it. And then you get divorced, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then you marry, you're working as an assistant for a CEO and like in a rebound relationship. Yeah. You date his son. Yeah. And then you get married again. Like it was like six months after knowing yeah, well, him. I felt like a failure with the first one. Right. I had that sense of like, well, if I just remarry quickly, it will feel nobody, nobody will notice. <laughs> well, did it, did, did your, were your siblings like, no, seriously, what the fuck is going Like, did anyone say anything to you? Like, no, <laughs> that's so amazing. 
Yeah. I, but here's another thing. I mean, my, my, my parents really wanted us to be independent. Right. They were not smothering Jewish parents. So that obviously has its pluses, but right, right. in this case, it had its minuses. But I figured it out. So that was the good Right. Thing. So now I yeah. remarried. I've been, Colin and I have been married for over 25 years now. So and you have two beautiful children and you, you know. So, so I want uh, people to know it had a happy ending. Yes. It, we were going to get there now. Anyway, okay. so. But can I also tell you uh, when I divorced for the second time before the age of. 26. 26. My, I will say my dad, who's really funny, said, well, the way I like to think about it is you've had two very serious relations. Yeah, I know. That was so funny. And then I th- did your mother say, OK, well, you got that out of the way. So now you don't have to. You yeah. know, you've already done that. So so you end up. But I didn't up- have kids so that. Right. That was thank that- God. Right. That, but that's, Can you imagine that would have, yeah. that would have been, forget it. So it would have been weird. <laughs> so you marry, you, you go to DC, you're like, I hate it here. Uh, and you divorce the second guy. I, I think because I was such a loser in love, I do think it made me very committed to being successful in my career. Right. I, I can see that. I can see people that I think there's a lot of people who are just married to their fucking career. Like they get everything from their career. But you don't seem like that type of person. Your first writing job, if I can if I get this right, please let me. You wrote a spec for Gary Shandling show. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so you write the first Gary Shandling show. Right. The very first one, Alan's Weibel. That's um, right. A very still, nice man. He is the nicest, Such a classiest, nice. and his wife, Robin, they're just Hamish. It's so funny because I look at Alan's Weibel, who's been on the podcast, and I'm like, how can you be that nice and that fun and like that successful in this fucking bit? Like, he's just a mensch. Yeah. And like, you, I, I look at it, it's like, it's like when I look at like doctor, I have friends who were, you know, really, and I'm like, how are you so good at that? You know, because you don't have that person. He's yeah. Okay. So you write for uh, the a spec for the, it's Gary Shandling show. And they're like, we like it, but we're not going to take it. So, but no, we have they, they, they first say we're going to buy it. Come, right. come to LA. Right. We're, we're going to work on the script. You'll meet Gary. And, you know, that was the famous where he turned to me and said, you write like a guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, so he says, you, you, have you heard that? Is that something? Oh, you- yeah. You're you're the I get I got a lot, you know. Oh, you're like one of us. You're not like them. Right. Um, you think like a guy. Yeah. Right. And you know who they said that to as well? Gene Carroll, the comedian. From the late 50s, they said, you you write jokes like a guy. Alan King stole one of her jokes. Anyway, so he says you write like, now, do you get a ping like, oh, that's not. No, at the time, I thought it was the greatest comment you could give me. I mean, I'm embarrassed to say it now. Right. But, you know, I. We are of our culture. Right. You know, it takes a lot to. What is it Orwell said? You know, the hardest thing is to see the nose at the end of your face. Right. I mean, what he meant was I wrote hard jokes. Right. I wrote um, 
crude jokes. And I wanted, you know, you want to identify with the high status individuals. Right. And you felt like, oh, and you're young and you're like, oh my God, I'm meeting one of my heroes and oh my God, I'm here, you know. So they end up paying you for a script, but not, they they gave you another assignment, right? The haunted neighbor thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember they, they, I don't think I put this in the book, but they always had a cameo on that show. Like famous people would pop up. And I had, my joke was that Gary was trying to lose weight. And when he opened his refrigerator, um, uh, Dom uh, DeLuise was in it. Like instead of oh, having that's a photograph so yeah. on the refrigerator, Dom DeLuise was um, actually in it and was like, are you sure you want to eat that, Gary? And then later on, Gary was celebrating and he opened the door and said, Perignon, Dom. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. It was just a weird. So, all right. So you do uh, Gary and and you end up then getting on another job. And then someone. It took a while, though. Like that was I, I always say that, like part of my success was just I got just the bare minimum of positive reinforcement. Right. When I needed it. Right. And that kept me going. Right. Because what was great about Shandling was that's where I met Al Jean and Mike Reese. Right. Went on to work on The Simpsons. Al Jean is a showrunner at The right. Simpsons. Actually, and you you actually are the first woman to write an episode of The Simpsons. Uh, no, Mimi Pond wrote the very first. Uh, it was a Christmas special. Right. Just I, if you want first real, yeah, not special episode. Okay. So then. But um, I want to say that I have a, um, I wrote another Simpsons last year. In fact, the last big event I went to before the pandemic was at the end of February. We had the Simpsons table read for my episode. I now own um, the record for the longest amount of time. Between two episodes? That's (laughs) hilarious. Which is 30 years, which is crazy. And um, it airs the first week of December. Oh, that's awesome. I can't wait. Okay. We got to get to the fact that you fly back to New York to meet. You're working on another show. You get a call, Letterman. Your agent says, no, you're making so much money. And you say, no, this is my, I've, this is my, this is what I've wished for my whole life is to write on a late night show. You're crazy. Too bad. You fly to New York. You meet Dave. I know with the pencils hanging down. Yes. Yeah. You talk about the pencils in the, and you walk in and you, you're, there's signals, there's signals, but you know, or signs, whatever, but you go in and you meet with Dave, you get hired. Now, what I love that you write in the, about in the book, Meryl Marco, who um, is brilliant. She 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 was the head writer for the first four years of that show, and David's and and the Paramore. last the show won an Emmy for right. writing. That was, was the last was, time was when he was running the room. And no women, no. So you're you get you go there, and you get this job. You get the job, and you move back. By the way, Mar- Meryl's got a new graphic novel. I have it. I'm it's reading it. So it's good. so good. It's so good. I want her on the podcast. It's you women, like you don't know what you did for like people like me, you know, like to see your name 
and be like, oh, it was just like a sigh of relief that, you know. Okay. So you, Judy, you get like leaving sitcoms to go back and work for Letterman, right? Oh, in two seconds. You know how many, I can't tell you how many times I did shit like that. Yeah. And I was like, no, I have, I have to, I, I left touring with Cindy Lauper to do Shakespeare in the park for $500. Um, um, I, you know, there are bucket list things and you know that you're not going to get that. You're a woman, you know, you're not getting that many opportunities. Did I you- left LA because I, I know you're going to say you're an idiot, but I was like getting so much work. I was on a sitcom then I got another sitcom. And then my, my ex was pregnant with our first son. And she was like, you got to pick New York or LA. And I was like, I don't want to bring my kid up in LA. I want, I'm from that. I wanted them to go to museums and, you know, um, and I left and my worst, one of the worst (laughs) decisions career wise, but my kids are happy. And well, not Henry, he hates me, but yeah, I totally get that. Now, did you ever get to perform on Letterman? Of course not. That we're getting there. Not once. Not fucking once. Now, Letterman, I always, I thought, okay, I know he liked, you know, like my friend Margaret Smith, who doesn't do stand, I I haven't seen her, but she was fucking, she was one of his go to, you know, she was fucking. Wendy Liebman. Very small, and they were very funny. And they were very non-threatening. They were joke tellers and they were dry and funny and had, you know, and believe me, I love both of them, but I am a fucking loud Jewish brash lesbian. And it just wasn't. Oh no, no. And yet the show is so New York and you're like, oh my God, this would be the perfect audience for me because I did do Leno, uh, which we'll get to like three times and, it's just not the right fit for me. It's not the right, you know, they're just like, it's like doing, you know, a Vegas lunchroom, you know, it's weird, but okay. So you get like for 30 years, he's on the air. He doesn't hire any, a single writer of color, not one. The, I, I have the stats in my book in 10 years, there are like seven women who perform on the show. And this was, you know, they talk about the pipeline. This is why women aren't in the pipeline is because they're actively kept out. Right. And there's a quota of one. Yeah. So our fault. I mean, you were working your ass off. Right. Yeah. And I never played the woman card. I was never like, I just wanted to be. And I think that's, and the fact that I was a lesbian, and I had no attraction to any, none of the guys were, you know, I mean, there were guys that were like, hey, I could change you. And I was like, get the fuck away from me. But, but I'm telling you. Because See, that's the version of if you're not happy with your husband, let me know. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I had one guy come up to me once and he goes, Judy, you know, I just want to let you know, I, I really like doing cunnilingus. I'm really good at it. And I'm like, OK, what am I? What, what do you? Why okay, great. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, I'm better. That's what I would do. I would do that to them. If they introduced, if an MC introduced me as, you know, our next uh, comic is a female, I would go, that's our MC. He's male. He has a penis and balls. He yeah. is male. He can, jer-, you know, and that's, <laughs> I would just give it right back to them. But so you, you go to Letterman and you get hired. This is such a fascinating story. You get hired. 
and you leave, you quit. Um, you were picked up, but yeah. you decide to leave. And you said the only other person who left quicker than you was Louis C.K. He quit. He came back. He quit again. Right. And then it was like 20 years and he got to perform on the show. Right. Yeah. So you quit. And and they're like, why? Why are you quitting? And you don't really what? Can you talk about how you left that show and why you left that show? You know, it's interesting because. You know, you do these things at the time. It's a little like when Shanley says you write like a guy and you just beam. You know, I was lucky. I had other options. I'd already worked in sitcoms. So when I left the show, I knew I was going to be able to jump back in to television. And I just, it was unpleasant. It wasn't fun. It was... I wasn't flourishing. And it's so interesting because I think most women would have just stuck it out and been like, you're lucky you're here. You're lucky. And I guess, is it your, I mean, the fact that you were like, you know, fuck this. You know, I remember you saying you were talking to Letterman in his office and you, you got a signal, you know, the, his, there was his assistant was in, in the other room or within earshot. And you find out later that he's, fucking the assist, you know, I mean, I think people stuck around on SNL with being unhappy. I think women, I think you're an exception that women leaving because it just, because you're, it feels wrong. It's in your gut. Like I, if I could go back in my life and if I give talk to young Judy, I would say, follow your gut. Cause there's so many times where I was like, no, I got to do this. I got to do this. And it felt wrong, but you had this agency to just say, you know what? No, sorry. But as a parent, it's the hardest thing to teach your kid. When do you stand up for yourself? And when do you follow the rules? And it's, it's case by case. And I don't, you know, I think sometimes I've left too quickly too, from situations. So it's a really hard call. I mean, in retrospect- But you're young, you're on this fucking late night show and you leave. I mean, it's fucking incredible. I had already written The Simpsons. I worked on Newhart. I I enjoyed, I actually enjoyed writing sitcoms more. Right. And, you know, a good day at Letterman is you get one joke in the top 10. Right. There are like 14 writers. Thank you so much for listening to part one of Kill Me Now with the one and only Nell Scovell. If you like the show, first of all, I can't believe I say that every week. Of course you like the show. It's me. So make sure to subscribe, leave a review. It helps more people find this amazing podcast. And the review should only be five stars. I can't deal with the the nitpicking. Okay. If you have not purchased my book, yes, I can say that when they come for the comedians, we're all in trouble. There is literally, you have you have issues, okay? It's a great book. You listen to my podcast. The audio book was featured in the New York Times book review. The holidays are coming up. It is an, it's really a good gift. I'm telling you, it's an easy read and it's fucking great. So let's read one of my reviews on Amazon. Oh, here's one. Okay, this is a new one from Jennifer. Judy Gold is brilliant and has written an excellent funny book. Also, I bought and listened 
to the Audible book and it and read by the author herself. It's so informative and laugh out loud funny. XOXO XO XO XO. Okay? Jennifer, I don't know who she is, but she is fucking brilliant. Anyway, please. Please, I need to feed my kids. So, there you go. It really would mean a lot to me if you would check it out. Go to my website, judygold.com. It's all brand new. Check it out. There's a bunch of links there, okay? Or you can get it wherever books are sold, please. And buy it as a gift. I'm telling you, it's a good gift. Also, please make sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram for all upcoming virtual and live events and dates and just my thoughts, my thoughts and my dreams. You can follow me at Judy Gold, J-E-W-D-Y-G-O-L-D, because I'm a Jew, like the second man, the second gentleman is a Jew. We have a new president, yeah. Okay, so um, I'm waiting till the very end to say, oh my God! Okay, so it's very exciting. We got to get Fuckface out. He'll, you know, screaming and yelling, but you know, there's a Jew in the, oh, where's my bell? Bing, there's a Jew in the fucking White House, okay? That's all I have to say. And as we always say here, so long. Don't forget to tune in next week to Just Kill Me Now. Um, or, it's Just Kill Me. Oh. Don't forget to turn uh, for part two on Just Kill Me. No, it's not. It's <laughs> just, just Kill Me. Now. No, no, Judy no. Gold's Just Kill Me. Just Kill Me Now. Just Kill Me Now. <laughs>